Hello, friends, and welcome to episode nine of Healing the Divide. Today, I am joined by a dear friend with a background in law, political science, history, and also a very skilled and adept and seasoned yoga teacher and activist in so many ways that I cannot wait to unpack how she shows up in the world. Welcome to Healing the Divide, Paula Kala. It's a pleasure to have you here. Oh, thank you, Scott. Thank you for what you say. <laughs> and thank you for having me. And yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited too. For our guests, we are going to get into it today. We are going to be talking about some really, really important issues for us to to be talking about as human beings on the planet. This time, we're going to get into the theme of decolonization and how colonization is both a movement that has spread across this planet that has been so destructive in so many ways. And I also want to get into the colonization of the human consciousness and how the, some of these ideas are so baked into our psyche and our identity that it informs the way we see, the way we speak, the way we think about issues. So we're really going to be peeling back the curtain and looking at life through the lens of not just the big macro philosophical perspectives, but the very human perspectives as well. So I'm excited to to get into this with you. And Paula, I want to share a brief introduction for you. Um, first off, in, in her own words, she comes from the heart of the world, Colombia, also known as the land of magical realism, a territory that has shaped her body and heart, but has also influenced the lens through which she perceives the world and from where her perspective emerges, shaped by the non-dualist essence of her ancestors that intertwines humanity with nature. In the dance against societal domination, political, economic, and social, she aligns with anarchism, advocating for individuals to relate in love, equality, freedom, and mutual support, and create societies where we all have sovereignty over our wills, abilities, social processes, and organizational forms. This vision extends to an ecocentric embrace where humanity is not separate, but an intrinsic part of the natural tapestry. Amidst the unraveling colonial paradigm, she finds inspiration within the cracks, spaces pregnant with possibilities for decolonial transformation. These crevices unveil glimpses of alternative realms where power is decentralized and communities harmonize with the rhythms of the earth. An ecocentric anarchism rooted in poetic resistance envisions a future birth from equality, sustainability, and the liberation of interconnected spirits. Wow. That says so much. So, so much. I can't wait to dive into this with you. So can you, can we start by just landing us on the map of Paola? Can you share a little bit of your own 
origin story within the frameworks that you feel comfortable speaking to um, uh, help us understand um, not necessarily the what's of it all, that's your own private journey, but how you have come to believe what you have come to believe, how you come to see the world, what are the influences that have shaped you um, to see things the way that you do? Hmm. <laughs> um, well, like I said on my bio, um, I'm very shaped by, you know, by the territory where, where I was born and raised. Um, I believe that even the, like the natural makeup, the, you know, the, the minerals and the plants and everything that, you know, where I grew up, like also has shaped, um, my, my desires, the things that I like, um, the stories that I grew up with, um, the political context and, um, the historical context too. Um, my friends, I mean, everything, um, that any human in society experiences is what shapes, you know, that, that person and the, the, the cosmogony of this person. So I felt like, I feel like Colombia, um, shaped, you know, me and, since a little girl, like I saw different um, struggles, um, I saw you know different social classes. Um, I feel I feel like I moved a little bit in between like different worlds within these social classes, and that actually gave me like information on on their struggles on inequality. So I remember since I was a very little girl, I was aware of, of that. I don't know exactly why, but it was something always within me that, you know, that was in my, in my heart and in my mind that I thought about and like, why, why is this like this? Why can, you know, why are there kids and people that have, you know, nothing to eat when there's like all these other people that have, you know, uh, so much privilege. And um, I learned about, <laughs> I learned about human rights when I was, you know, in school, when I was a little girl. I think I was like seven when I learned about the the rights of children. And in Spanish, it's Los Derechos del Niño. And I was living back then in a complex. And there were so many buildings and we had like three parks. This was a huge complex and there were no, nothing for the kids to play. There were just parks with trees and beautiful, but no playgrounds. So that's when I organized my first <laughs> protest <laughs> because I learned the rights of, of children. And um, <laughs> we wrote a letter demanding that you know we had a playground for us and we slept on a mango tree that night and we didn't want to go home until um we got in writing <laughs> that the community was going to get together and 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 make that happen for us and we actually um made it happen and that community has you know this 
these um things for the kids um because of that little thing and i think that like planted the seed for so much more that is an incredible story that i have not heard you share before in years of friendship and i'm so grateful to see little pow the protester in there has been there this whole time and and now to see you and in, in, in your adulthood and your womanhood so standing, you stand so strongly in your voice. I, I, I invited you here today. I have this conversation because how you stand in the authority in the voice to um, share equal rights for all people. And I think some people look at that, the, the, the strength and the advocacy of that, and they just see words like anarchy and they just assume burn it all down, tear it all down. And I think there's so much more depth and so much more nuance to this conversation. It's important. The intention of this podcast is for us to have a conversation around healing the divide that exists on our planet. And perhaps, if not the largest perpetrator of that divide, are these large colonial projects that oppress the rights of the indigenous populations in these respective territories all across our planet. And I want to get into the details with that. And I feel reticent to, at another level, I, I just maybe self-aware that you know, we are talking about issues that it's, to some degree, just having a philosophical position is, is privilege. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not a person that holds negativity towards privilege. Let me say that. I hope that privilege is the goal. I think we should, may we all be privileged. Let's move us all up into a state of safety and health, but let's not be blinded by the perspective that we speak to things from. And so I think it's important that if we're going to have a conversation around what human beings are dealing with on our planet, not just historically, but right now, in the same moment that we're in with our feet on this earth, there are human beings deeply suffering. There's genocide occurring on this planet as we speak. There is oppression on this planet as we speak. One common bond that Paola and I share is a, is a, a deep love for, for Eastern, Eastern Indian philosophy um, specifically. And... Um, and there's a, an invitation that I wanted to extend to you if you're open to it as a way of holding space for this conversation. Um, in the Buddhist tradition, there is a meditation practice called Tanglen. And you might be familiar with this, but it's where we take the seat of, of, of the safety that we happen to be in and the, um, the ground of our being. And essentially, it's almost like a collective co-regulation um, practice and prayer for healing. And we imagine that as we breathe in, we could draw in the suffering that exists on our, our planet and that we can use the, the alchemical power of a grounded vessel that we are blessed and privileged to be in right now to transmute that suffering energetically into healing. And we can hold a positive vision for that healing to occur on our planet and that we can set a prayer and an intention that our conversation today and that the ripple effect of our conversation for those who listen to it and then feed that out into their own conversations, their own sutras of conversations in the world that we can contribute perhaps in some meaningful way 
um, to the necessary change that we might have differences on how to achieve, but we share the uh, perspective on that it is needed and that we can tread lightly and sensitively. Um, so if you're open to, would you join me in just taking a few breaths um, with this yeah, intention? Okay, thank you so much. And um, for our listeners, please, if you're in a spot where it's safe for you to just take a few slow conscious breaths and let these be breaths of service, we'll just take a few seconds for for this intention to enter into our, our shared collective space. And so I, I thank you for that. And, and part of me, you know, is just here to ask questions, to listen, to learn, to understand, to grow, to contribute to healing on our planet. There's a, a lot of things I don't understand. Uh, there's a lot of perspectives I haven't ever lived in before. And I hope this is an opportunity for myself and uh, everyone to learn from the experiences that you have had from the young protester, the playground protester in Colombia. <laughs> to this moment right now. And, um, and with all that said, um, Paula, I wanted to um, invite this perspective in and get your thoughts on it. Are you familiar with the Carmen line? The what? <laughs> the, <laughs> the Carmen line, K-A-R-M-A-N. No. So the, the Carmen line is the... Um, the 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 line of where our atmosphere ends and outer space begins okay it's actually only about 62 miles north of the mean sea level on the planet it's not that far away it's closer than miami for us in florida and it's like wow outer space is closer than miami that's right and yeah (laughs) Exactly. So talk about witness consciousness, right? For the the yogi in you is if we could move to the the witness consciousness of the Carmen line for a moment and just look down on the earth as it exists right now. What's your take? What do you see happening here? Give us the, the big picture through your lens. It is, um, existing. It is existing and is um, within that existence, there's um, forces of power and they're moving and Earth is trying to find that balance because when things are weighing too much to one side, it creates an imbalance. But I think that's also part of, of existing, of manifesting, you know, um, of living on earth as a manifestation because I see earth as a body. So um, just like a human body. Hmm. So from that perspective, that's what I see earth doing is existing within all its forces and possibilities. Where do you see human civilization in its development, its collective developmental psychology in this existence 
Are we like toddlers? Are we teenagers? I don't know. I It's hard for me to visualize it that way because I feel like from our perspective, our worldview, like when we people talk about like maturing or being teenagers or whatever, is putting a hierarchy. Mm. Like for example, like children, you know, they don't know enough. Like they need to be taught. And like that's part of the actually anarchist critique um, mm -hmm. to the system that, you know, we impose and we actually kind of like form, shape and help shape uh, children's uh, worldviews and, and, and minds. So for mm -hmm. me, it's hard to answer to that question like that, uh, where I see humanity as a, I don't know. So how do we reconcile non-hierarchical structure with the recognition of consciousness evolving to greater clarity of its own true nature? And when we see these forces of um, power over that are at play, it seems like we don't want to let that interest be the interest that dominates the experience of the planet. So, to which interest are you referring? Real, sorry. Say it again. To which interest are you referring? Governmental interests. Um, corporate interests, I don't necessarily see much of a demarcation line between them. My personal view is that our, most of our governments around the world have been captured. Coming from somebody that lives in the United States, I think that our, we live in a corporatocracy for all intents and purposes. I think we could reduce that down to a few different corporations um, that have got a stronghold, etc. And there is a... Uh, proliferation of um, war and um, an oppression and domination that is exerted upon a great deal of the planet. I don't believe that somebody has inherent more has more inherent value over, but I do believe that there are hierarchical structures of influence on our planet where you and I don't have the power to take this conversation and change the nature of that dynamic just through this conversational, we can contribute towards it. But if we had accumulated more influence, then, then my standpoint is that this expression of consciousness could bring more healing. I'd like to see it have more, have more power, not as a power over, but more influence. And so what I'm asking is if, and put it in a different context if that one doesn't work for you. But when you look at the structures that wield the greatest influence on our planet, do you see, where do you see that in the lifespan of the earth? Do you see us as evolving beyond that? And or are like are we in our early? Let's instead of putting making hierarchy, we're in our early evolutionary process, 
are we in like are we having a midlife crisis and that's what this is because um, it doesn't feel like the wise elders are present <clears throat> i get you okay so i'm gonna sound super crazy <laughs> <laughs> <Bring it. laughs> i even see time not as like, like going one arrow out like future um I see it like as a sphere kind of uh, thing. Mm -hmm. and, and this is just my own crazy, like, pals talking. I don't know. We could be like, our like, ancestors could be the evolved version of us. Mm. Do, do you think, do you see where I'm going? Like, so, you know, through history, this um, kind of separation happened um, where all the forces that go in the world, to say that, um, became like split into the indigenous and non-indigenous, the colonized um, and the and the indigenous uh, worldview. And I think is that separation um, and in this side where we are uh, in the colonized worldview or what is called dominant worldview, um, we have we have fallen out and. And far, 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 far from from source, from from earth, from nature, and I think that's what is causing all this illness. I feel like Mother Earth is she's sick, and uh, her, our consciousness is so, so um, not disconnected because we are part of nature, but our lens is so clouded that we see that disconnection and we act from it and we act like we are that. And, but at the same time, I, you know, I see the indigenous people that have resisted for, for hundreds of years and even thousands, like, you know, there's indigenous um, cultures in South America and my country that have existed for 16,000 years mm. and their knowledge. So, so I don't know. Again, it's hard for me to answer the question because I understand your question as like pointing one arrow, like like mm -hmm. seeing evolution as past, present, future, and Linear. and I just can't see it like that. So yeah. my best way to answer the question is the division of dominant and indigenous uh, worldviews, the divisions of worldviews, and and what we have built from the dominant worldview and created systems of oppression of accumulation of resources of not taking on account that we are nature so we put ourselves above nature in a vertical you know hierarchical way utilitarian and um, we made a social contract i was talking to you about the social contract um a few days ago and mm -hmm. we made a social contract where we actually sign up for that to give up some rights in exchange of some uh, privilege, and um, and that caused all kinds of crazy stuff. <laughs> so understood, and and I, I appreciate the reframe and taking us out of linear time and really inviting a different perspective that isn't hierarchical and isn't linear, and <clears throat> and it brings me to thoughts of that really is the core and the crux of yoga's teaching that the that we've fallen into 
a mistaken self-identity as a being that is born, exists, and dies, and behind the changing nature and the evolutionary impulses is a essential nature that is birthless, deathless, and eternal. And when we operate from that premise of self, that's a shared premise, and that the recognition of that in one another is the in the ultimate expression of, of bringing out a life um, around us that is an accurate uh, reflection and representation of the truth of the world as it lives and exists within us in the most fundamental way. And one of the texts that teaches this is the Bhagavad Gita. And there's a teaching in the Bhagavad Gita, an actual definition for yoga. It defines yoga, I believe, six different ways inside of the Gita. And one of them is yoga is skill in action. So what in your analysis represents skill in action within the context that you just described? Skill in action will be um, understanding um, that we are nature. Um, and when I say understanding is like literally see, you know, water and trees and mountains as like living because they are living organisms, um, with the same, you know, rights and, and wants, uh, even the one to, to have fun and celebrate exists within nature. So a skillful action will come from that, like understanding, because when you have that clarity, your action, um, your action is going to come from that. So it's not going to want to oppress or repress yeah. or suppress. Um, solidarity, mutual aid, um, Um, you know, acting from a place where, where I want to cooperate and not, uh, compete from mm -hmm. where, um, you know, if I need something, I take what I need, um, and are mindful of, you know, living for the others, um, cooperation. Um, I, I already say cooperation, um, equality, uh, and, and knowing that equality, when we talk about equality, is not about like everybody living in the same like colored house and, you know, it's mm -hmm. about equality of, of, of where you are in life, like what equality in, not only in your rights, but in your, um, the word you in your privilege and and I guess like privilege will be taken out of there because um mm. it will be more like having your your needs met, your basic needs met because when there's privilege means that somebody you know there's other groups or or something else that doesn't have that mm -hmm. and then act from that I think um when the human beings have their basic needs met 
they can don't have to worry about that. Don't have to worry about what am I gonna what am I gonna search for food today? And I'm going hungry. And what am I gonna sleep? And not having access to water or clean water or clean air. And so once you have a, a life with dignity and those those basic needs met, then you can explore your higher self, your your talents. You know, some pe- we're all so different. Our brains are wired different. And some of us are, you know, not very good with speaking, <laughs> but, um, you know, good with something else. There's people that are gifted with, you know, music and so many talents. Um, and that actually brings to mind, like, the things that we value. Um, in this dominant society, we have given value to to things that are actually like very abstract and not real. I was talking actually this morning to one of my clients. She was one of the first judges in this country, female judges in this country. Um, and she was talking up to me about something that happened uh, in the courtroom where these men kept asking where was the judge with her being there. And he asked like three times. And so then she, you know, she said, well, I, I guess I, I was a cleaning lady. <laughs> I'm the mm-hmm. cleaning lady and I'm here to to mediate um, this issue. So then he was like, oh. But then when she was talking to me about it and she mentioned the cleaning lady, I was thinking, I'm like, why do this society see the cleaning lady as something kind of like the judge up here and the cleaning lady here? Mm-hmm. Um. You know, the cleaning lady should not even be called the cleaning lady. Um, I think that's kind of derogative. Um, I feel like every person in society, whatever their degrees are, and that's why the comment I made when you asked me about my um, like background, background yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because we have given more value to, to academic, to titles, when you know if you wanna if you have fun like cleaning like and 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 you enjoy that and you're good at it like you have to have some skills to do that and those are just as valuable as the skills of a surgeon or you know or the judge or whatever yeah it's interesting i i think i land somewhere in <clears throat> the middle there it's and it'll be fun to kind of parse this out with you. I see first and foremost, a shared value between us, wherein having our basic needs met should be ideally a fundamental right for all beings. The fact that there are so many beings, so many humans on this planet right now that are starving, that are, do not have access to water or a safe home, that the the economic social disparity on this planet right now is massive and we have the resources to address this successfully. It could end by the time the sun goes down if we were not in such a dominant oppressive dynamic for a world. So I, so on that, I think I don't have any point of contention. I shared agreement, and I think that's true. I think 
when we get beyond that, once we have established baseline needs, then I move to meritocracy, that I don't want there to be homogeny because I think that destroys creativity and, 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 and that we each have different um, proclivities towards different things and that it's, an, it's, it's vital for the health of a society for there to be incentivization there. And um, so I, I think I lean a little bit more that way now. You cut off for a while. I'm sorry. Where, where everything is equal. I think that destroys creativity and there's not an incentivization um, for specialty and motivation. And so I actually appreciate that the, uh, maybe for me, it would be look a little different. There would be a baseline or a floor that everybody has. So nobody's falling through the cracks. Once you've established said baseline, then it's a meritocracy. So so, so just saying that like, we're not going to live in the same houses, we're not going to have the same things, there's going to be economic um, disparity. Um, as long as everybody's fundamental is met, I'm perfectly comfortable with people having different, different lifestyles. Okay, cool. Okay. So then so, from, let me, hold on, let me just finish this last piece okay. before we go into, okay. you had said something about um, the hierarchy. And now I, 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 I disagree with the idea that um, that one job is worth more than another. That point I'm back to agreeing with you on that. I, I think, you know, I've spent so much of my life trying to bring healing into people's lives. And there's people that have a lot more prestige, a lot more success in, you know, conventional terms by mm -hmm. Western culture standards. Um, and, and I think that's sad. I think, I think there's plenty of examples of the way in which we've assigned value to occupation and that what we've lauded as a culture and lifted up and said, this is something we should all aspire towards is bullshit in so many ways. Um, so I think we, we, we need to be mindful of the floor. We want to be careful of what we, what constitutes ceiling and making sure that we're not saying this is worth more than that. But there, but I do think there's a deep need for variation of expression and, and that there's going to be difference that, that some people are going to have more than other people. And, but I believe in the idea that everybody has an opportunity to the degree of their own um, interest and skills and propensities that they can um, go for that if they want to. But I don't want to see sort of like everybody having the exact same life experience. I think equality and homogeneity are, are a fine line to dance. So what, well, what's your... Well, different things. They're completely different things. Equality is very different than um, homogeneity. That's how you say it. Mm -hmm. I understand. Got you. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, you can't... That's those... Two completely different things. And I mean, you cannot have the replicate of a life experience that is actually impossible, I think. Um, yeah, like, I don't know. I think we don't aim for that. That's not mm -hmm. like, you know, everybody has to have like 
you know, if I want to work more, I'm probably going to get a little more resources than, you know, somebody that loses, you know, more leisure, chooses yeah. more leisure or whatever. Exactly. The, the difference is in the value system, what we, we give value to, and also um, within the system of, so that, 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 that equality and possibility, that equality of, of basic needs met cannot happen uh, in the current system. It's completely impossible. Um, because, because of the social contract that we have created. Do you mean within the United States or are you saying, or are no, you looking within at the, within the dominant worldview, within all these dominant systems, which are actually extractivist systems, so there's so much like we have to kind of like clarify because a lot of the mm -hmm. stuff that I keep hearing people talking and I'm like, well, that actually didn't happen like that. There's a lot of kind of like uneducation and ignorance. Um, and that's part of <laughs> the the system uh, trying to to um, stay and, and survive, right? is to create this like ignorance. So, you know, the more ignorant people are, the less they're going to be able to, to resist or to create something different or to even know that that is not working and that's not what they want. Um, so there's like two, there's a couple key things. Um, the structure, the, the, the structures of power, um, private property, the concept of private property, um, the state, um, the state as this organism that guarantees the social contract of this modernity uh, world or modern world. Um, so in this, when we entered this social contract, we gave um, our individual rights. We gave up our freedoms. Um, and we left the state in charge of protecting those freedoms. And we also gave it power to protect it through, you know, the criminal system and through politics mm. and through all these, you know, different other systems. So I think that basic needs like floor that you're talking about and I talk about uh, really cannot be, cannot exist within, if there's systems of oppression. Um, sometimes it's hard to see that for example, being from the United States and, you know, only knowing this, people don't know, like you open the, the, the water faucet and your water comes out of there. Mm. Um, you know, you sit down and you have plate in your food, but you don't know like which hands uh, cultivated that and, and made that come there and, and how much oppression... <laughs> these items that you're eating and how much destruction they're causing because of the way, you know, it's not because you're eating food. It's because the way is being handled because, mm -hmm. you know, we have clean water here at the cost of the global South, um, you know, not having clean water, not having water. We have so much privilege um, in, you know, in, in, in the, in the global North. Um, so we don't think about those things. We don't think about, wow, like, like we are 
having all these cars and, and, and building all these things in here and the materials that we're using for that are coming from the horrible, the most, the, the thing that can hurt actually Mother Earth the most is extractivist um, processes. So mining is, is um, I was explaining this actually by by a mamo. He's a, mamos are called the, uh, indigenous leaders of uh, the Kogi culture. And he was explaining to me, like, imagine Earth is the body of a woman. And when you are mining, you're literally, it's like you're ripping through her organs, her vital organs. And there's so much suffering, not only material, but spiritual mm. um, that comes from that. So those things that we're not aware of, so when we talk about, you know, private property and having all these privileges, it comes at the cost of, of another, you know, people that we don't even sometimes that they exist. Like we think about recycling um, plastic is the way to go and that we're saving the earth. And I thought of that like for so long until, you know, it has to go somewhere. And is you know first it was going to China now it's going to the Amazons, mm. and the clothing you know everybody here loves to shop and you know the TJ Maxx and all the bargains and all this stuff and where does these clothes go you know when people don't want to wear it anymore because fashion is moving so fast it goes to the desert in Chile to one of the most beautiful like places on earth and it's being destroyed so. You know, we have to, you know, I like to invite people to to do this exercise that actually exists within Buddhism, the, the Heart Sutra, and and like meditate on, you know, sit down and when you're going to eat, like do a little research where, you're, um, where your food's coming from. What are they putting on your food too? Because all of those are forms of control. <laughs> um, you know, we, we're growing as sick individuals because we're our, our, our soil is depleted. Um, we are using medicines that nature gave us everything. Nature gave us medicine, wisdom, everything. And we completely denied the indigenous world and we supplemented for this dominant kind of like fake, you know, reality that is just creating more like death and decay. It's like this saccharine version of something real. And it, it's like the Truman Show. And we're just living in this fake representation of, like, you know, drive your nice car, get, get the good meal at the restaurant. Like, and behind the curtain of colonialism is this massive amount of suffering of our people and our planet. And that's what I'm hearing you say. And <clears throat> it, I have I have so many questions, <laughs> so I, I want to glean a better understanding of your worldview. I have an understanding of of the dynamics and and the and the dominator oppressive um, paradigm and how you see that. I'd love to get a little more specific. I think that we're throwing around some terms that that are somewhat loaded for for people. So maybe if we could um, lean into some of your political science background or understanding of history, if you could maybe create a comparative political framework, sometimes we can understand something better by 
what it's not. And, and, and please also forgive my ignorance here too, but actually don't forgive my, my ignorance. I'm, I welcome my ignorance. I'm glad it's, <laughs> I'm glad it travels with me. I am, I travel with intellectual humility. I'm here to, I'm here to learn. But when I think about things like we live in a constitutional, constitutional republic with a representative democracy, um, or at least supposedly so, <laughs> um, um systems that are and with a capitalistic economic structure um communism socialism sorry can you can you repeat i couldn't hear sorry sure that's okay um the they're listening and cutting our signal paula (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah i just want to look within a comparative political framework at other systems of governance and 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 place um, this idea of anarchism on a map, I'm, I'm starting to understand um, that this is like a left end of socialism. Um, are we far lefting out here? And then if so, I have lots of questions around that. But I did pull up this definition for our listeners of um, anarchism, and it is a political theory advocating the abolition of hierarchical government and the organization of society on a voluntary cooperative basis without recourse to force or compulsion. Uh, is that something that you agree with, disagree with? And I'm just going to like, I'm going to front load this with a few different questions that I have and just take the ones that speak to you. So in this system, how does it compare to other systems um, and where people sometimes go is anarchism, socialism is anarchism, communism. Let's, let's, let's clean this up a little bit yeah, and find a important. Thank you. I appreciate the question. So anarchism is not a system because <laughs> it will like, that's a contradiction. It's a philosophical system. Um, a political theory could be, um, mm-hmm. Anarchism has so many colors and so many shapes because of its nature. It's, it's very adaptable. It's not a, it's not a close ended thing. It's not a finality. It's possibilities. So, um, anarchism as a movement actually came at the beginning of the 19th century. Um, as a response, you know how when you explain uh, the different yoga philosophies, you know, they were like responding to each other and talking to each other. That's what Mm -hmm. happened uh, with the industrialization, the industrial revolution. Um, Out of that, um, the social classes struggle, you know, started to happen, the accumulation of of capital and the and the horrible conditions of 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 the workers so the working class was born and when this working class was born uh you know a lot of they started questioning a lot of things and they needed um they needed a revolution they needed something for you know because they were being oppressed so out of this um it's kind of like as a response of this new problem that colonialism has created and industrialization has created, um, the socialism and communism 
um, philosophies uh, were born. And as a response to that, kind of like anarchism was born. Um, mm. It's pretty cool. Um, so they were just a bunch of people that, you know, had all these problems and they were very intellectual. They were philosophers. Um, and they started, you know, young Marx and, you know, all these all these guys started, you know, talking and, and, and thinking and coming up with, you know, with solutions because that's what we humans do. When there's a problem, we want to create a solution. So um, communism is actually the evolution of socialism. Um, socialism is kind of like used as a transitional, uh, as a transitional space to get to communism. Um, in history, so this is one one fallacy that I always hear people: "Oh, you're a communist, or this communist country." Actually, in history, there has never been a communist country or a communist state, because actually, in communism, a state disappears because social classes disappear. So it's impossible to have a communist state. What we had experienced are socialist governments and socialist states. Um, now, in socialism, there is a strong presence of the state. Um, in communism, it's gone. I think communism is very ideal. And that was the critique that the anarchists uh, gave as a response to. So if you look for the first international communist, it's really cool because there's Marx and there's Bakunin, who's an anarchist, and they will write each other letters, just like hmm. talking like this. It's beautiful. And and they're just trying figuring trying to figure, you know, stuff out. Um, the communists, what they believe or yeah, what they believe is that there are, you know, two social classes, the the capitalist and the workers. Um the capitalists are the ones who or the bourgeois are the ones who own the means of production and the resources. So like we talk about, you know, these big companies uh, that own um mm -hmm are like they shouldn't but they have like titles on our land to be exploited mm -hmm. um and 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 they manipulate you know they they have their hands on healthcare they own like everything uh and there's the, the working class you know who is kind of like stuck in a wheel uh which actually marx explains very well on his book the capital and I love that book because it just kind of like, it's kind of like the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali where it's very like, you know, it numbers things and it kind of like re uh, shows you in a very easily to understand frame um, all these different forces that are at play. So what the communists want is to have a, a social revolution and to have the work the workers class be the ones that govern 
that you know that that the state is there to benefit the the working class why because it, <clears throat> in a capitalist system and in our current system the state is to protect the needs and the privilege of the of the bourgeois or the capitalist um so I, I I see it as like something that is the same. You're just changing shirts. You're just changing who's on top and who's underneath. Um, Do you mean like in terms of elections within a democratic system? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's that's okay. how. I mean, within that and within the communist proposal or the mm, social okay. proposal, like they just they want to be on top, but still a hierarchical. Um, it's not satisfying everybody's needs. They believe they, they will and that eventually the state will not be needed. Um, but I don't believe in, in, in that like force of authority and, and, and the anarchists that, that was their, their um, critique to the communists and to the socialists. So anarchism came to be named as the left of the left. Mm-hmm. Um, because um, we criticize that that coercion, you know, when when you are in a in a in any regime, it can be capitalist or communist or socialist. Um, it's always going to be oppressive. Um, there's all there's always gonna we're gonna need the state, and and the state is always gonna repress too the individual. Um, when we talk about democracy, actually, democracy is a lie in this system. It's a lie in both a communist or socialist system and it's a lie on a capitalist system. Why? Because it's still giving. It's it's not participative. Democracy is representative. And within that representation... I mean, how can you how can you call it a democracy when none of like none of the so-called leaders, you know, that are to be your representative in government are really answering and to your needs? They're supposed to work for us the people, but they don't. They work for for the interest of of the owners of the means of production. So is that by means of an extension of the function of the system or is that, do you perceive that as a failing of the human beings that are in power within that system? Do you see it as systemic and inherent? I see it as the, as the system is, it's like a sieve. So either mm-hmm. or capitalist or communist or socialist, because socialist will be a transition to communism. But uh, there's a seed where, you know, there's a seed within us humans um, to do amazing, beautiful life things. And there's also so much capacity for destruction and, you know, and, 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 and hurting. And we are hurt. So we hurt others. So when you are when you put that seed and you plant it on on a soil 
that seed is gonna is just gonna is gonna develop you know a certain plant and that plant is gonna be you know an authoritarian um hierarchical because both systems um tend to corrupt the individual with the illusion of power you understand i do we talk about bureaucracy and corruption so for Mm -hmm. example you know um you know i think about cuba and and how you know the history of cuba and, and the need they had to create this revolution because they were being you know oppressed and completely like uh, raped by by you know other countries by united states and by other interests and they were living in horrible conditions so there was a need for for this revolution and actually fidel castro he wasn't even a communist he didn't, he didn't like, he just used socialism because we're talking about again, when, when, when the industrial revolution happened, all these I- new ideas came out and the mm-hmm. workers, you know, the people that were oppressed saw in that because it was all, a lot about collective rights. They mm-hmm. saw in that like, oh my God, we have these great tools to get rid of, a, of, of our oppressor and of our oppression. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's actually, it was his brother and Che and, you know, other people that surrounded him that actually had those and that wanted to install, you know, this socialist uh, type of government in Cuba. And I also think that <laughs> communism has been used as, as this, like, phantom, as this, like, tool to scare people like, oh, if you don't this, we're going to be communist. Mm-hmm. Or if you do this, or if you think this way, this is going to lead to that. And people don't even understand what communism is. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in the idea, it's beautiful. You know, it can be beautiful. I, you know, there's things that, you know, I don't agree with. But there's a lot that you can rescue from these movements, uh, such as, you know, like collective rights which we all enjoy from these collective rights. Um, and and the, I, think, I think there's, there's so much possibility and beauty in struggle and like forces, you know, going mm-hmm. on each other because that also leads to, to other possibilities and to create and to find other forms of being and relate to each other. I agree. I, I remember the first time when I actually learned a little bit about what communism actually was versus the pejorative with which it was so carelessly bandied about as, you know, this worst critique <laughs> that you could offer uh, of a society or a human. And and I remember just going like, wow, that's, that's beautiful. There were things I didn't agree with and there's mm-hmm. things I still don't agree with. And it sounds like you land similarly and there, and it feels like this is true for so many issues actually like when we when we stop demonizing mm-hmm. as a propaganda tactic and we start to look at the actual intentionality not the co-opting of the human participation inside of it but what is the intention inside 
of, of trying to create a system like this, you can see that there is some beauty there. And maybe, yeah, there's something that we can, I don't want to, I realize you're using the word extract in a negative sense earlier about like mining the minerals of the earth, but extract yeah, from these philosophical systems. And so, so I want to get into a little more detail. So thank you first off for the clarifications there, communism, socialism, anarchism, etc. So I did hear you say earlier that anarchism is not a, um, a structure. It's anti-structure. It's not a system. It's anti-system. It's a, it's a, it's a political philosophy of anything. And so in this, I, in this ideal, there's a, there's not a, am, am I correct in understanding that there's not a state um, or is there still is there still the existence of, of a state? No, there's no state. No, no st- actually, what anarchism uh, seeks is the abolition of the state. The abolition of the state. Okay, that's what I thought. So there's no state. There's no government. So there's no electoral process. There's no leadership. There's no hierarchy. Um, is there a distinction here between private property and personal property? So in anarchism, there's no private property. However. Um, Anarchism is very fluid. So what it proposes is um, kind of like create, create your 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 have like freedom and autonomy as a as a society as a group of people to create. You know the how you want to interact with each other and live based on your needs. Um, so there's, for example, <clears throat> and I cannot talk much about them because I'm don't, I'm not a, like, I don't know much like, uh, about the Zapatista movement, but, uh, the Zapatista movement is not even anarchism is its own thing. Um, mm-hmm. but a lot of anarchists, uh, love the Zapatistas. I love the Zapatistas because just the, the way they are, and there is a movement of indigenous people in the South of Mexico in response to neoliberalism, to extractivism, and to companies that came and like, vi- like completely violated their rights and, and was pretty much like ethnic like cleansing um, for mm-hmm. them. So um, they they fall a little bit more into like communist style of of government, and we talk about when we talk about government. It's not like government as we know it, but like way of like being in society. Um, so the answer to, to your question, is there private property in anarchism? No, but okay. you can find, you can like, you can find like different ways in which to create like economies. So that's the other thing. We fall under the fallacy that if it's not this, it's that. And I, I see uh, political uh, candidates using that so much to gain votes. If you don't vote for me, you're going to become socialist. If yeah. it's not, if we get off the right of capitalism, it's going to be socialism. Why mm-hmm. are we like, are we not in capacity to create something that works for for us, and that doesn't have to look the same for the people in Bolivia than it is for the people in Finland, because 
for example, um, there is another uh, economic system or economic philosophy that came out in the 70s by um, Jack Fresco, I think is his last name. But uh, he was talking about resource-based economy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, 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 I learned a little bit about it. And I think it makes a lot of sense to, you know, to use the resources that you have, you know, in your, in your, in your region or territory. Um, yeah, and, and, and kind of like have that balance of using those resources with, you know, imbalance, not, not taking too much that is going to hurt the earth because we don't realize when we're hurting the earth, we're hurting ourselves. So definitely on uh, in agreement with you in some of those pieces of, of living in harmonious balance with the planet and um, maybe, and, and this could probably lead into a conversation around limits and regulations and and the degree to which we want like who's the arbiter of those regulations and how do we establish limits without governance so i have a couple of questions so so nobody owns their own home in this um vision is that is that correct if we don't have property like do how do i this is my it's very different because it's something you're trying to kind of like imagine something based on the models and the systems that we have. Well, because I'm putting it into, and not to cut you off, but I'm, I'm trying to put it into present moment, realistic, operating under the scenario of like, okay, so let's say so we, we're like, okay, this shit isn't fucking working anymore. We need to do something different. We have taken it to the breaking point. I think a lot of people would agree with that, that that the system that we have is not a sustainable or fair or just system. And we're getting tired of it. So I'm over here shopping. I'm going, Hey, what are some other perspectives? Love to hear them. And then when I hear, um, well, there's going to be no, and, and, and I'm just going to, I'm going to blasphemize this thing, but like, that you don't own your, your, your property. There's no, there's no cyst, there's no state. Like what's happening in, you know, put it into the yogic standpoint of Spanda, um, which for our listeners is a tantric idea of, of complementary and co-creative opposites. I know Pali, you're deeply familiar with this idea. And so one representation of that was like, we, if we want to experience freedom, we need structure this feels almost so amorphous to me that I'm like, how does anything actually happen? How do we have any shared agreements where, how, how do we live in function without some, some social contracts, some structures to live within? And maybe there's not a perfect system, mm-hmm. but is it, maybe that's the flaw. So I want to get beyond utopianism of let's just, take away the power, take away the structure. But my question for you is how do we function if it's not a system? How do we function without a system? Okay. So it is a decentralized. So there is a system, but no system as we know it, like imposed system. Um, It's kind of like, it's very utopian. But at the same time, because it's very fluid, 
mm-hmm. um, you can take the basics of it and and apply it to what is being created. So one important thing when you talk about anarchism is to understand that that all the institutions, and when I speak about institution, I speak about church, I speak about government, I speak about police, and I speak about even family. Um, to be able to have uh, a, a state, no, like the state, but a state of like being within anarchism, these institutions mm-hmm. have to be destroyed. And that's why anarchists gets like this bad rep. Oh, the chaos and whatever and destruction. It's because we talk about the destruction of these institutions. um, Because we talk about against seeds. You know, Mm -hmm. you cannot ask a being, a seed of being to become an orchid. Right? So Mm -hmm. if we go back, all these oppressed systems of oppression come from. you know, colonization and from the, the, the institution of the state, you know, was, which actually was born in, in Rome and in uh, ancient Greek philosophy uh, and imperialism. And we have to even go farther back. So, so these institutions have to be like completely eradicated and we can create, we can create things that are new where we talk about so going back the three bases uh equality in 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 you know accessing to what we need and mm-hmm. solidarity so mutual aid um so when you think when when you talk about like how can we make it work we can't make it work operating from our current worldview we can't now make it work that way so, and that's what I think a lot of the anarchist uh, philosophers, and that's my big critique to anarchism, is that anthropocentric um, mm-hmm. worldview, and that's still dominant worldview, um, and, and dualist worldview, where nature is denied and where spirituality is denied. Um, so to put it in, in context, um, all these philosophies and all these uh, systems, including capitalism, they were born out of dialectical materialism. Mm-hmm. And dialectical materialism is completely, you know, the opposite to idealism where, you know, um, there was like the divinity and everything. Um, so it stayed very much in the material world and it's not taking in account um, the spiritual world, which for me is hard to divide. Mm-hmm. But, but our current systems live and are sustained from that notion, from that division. Um, so when we talk about, again, um, anarchism, is a complete like like let's get rid of this like whole Shiva like mm-hmm. take it down like destroy it and and make something new with love 
with like caring for each other, caring for what really matters, which is life, which is, you know, uh, evolving as a human being and as community. So it's, it gives like so much to your individual rights, but also um, it honors, you know, our, our sociability and our need for each other. So, so, yeah, I'm trying to, to answer. So if you're trying to, like, think about, like, anarchism, like, completely, like, build an anarchist society right now, it's, it's not possible because we're still, we, we're coming from the colonized mind. And with the colonized mind, we can't, we can't give birth to, to, this, to this other world. However, if you look at the indigenous people, I'm not going to say that they are anarchists, but there is a lot that they are already doing and living within our, our, uh, within our dominant system that still show us so many beautiful characteristics and of anarchism and to aim for. And nobody's saying that we have to become like them because that's what like all these people, oh, do you think I want to live in a hut? It's not about that. It's about like, we need new social contracts. Yeah, that's my question, though. I think in it's inside a new social of all, contract. yeah, like what is it? what is that actually? Like, so we have not a state, but we have social contracts. Well, who's negotiating them? Like, legitimately, not just like the people, but how does this happen? Who's getting together? Who's the person that's speaking? Who's signing the agreement? Who's agreeing? What if somebody doesn't agree? Who's enforcing the agreement? Isn't that the beginning of the organic necessity of a government? Yeah. So there could be a government, but not as we know it. Not as the as the conception of government that we have. For example, um, the there's there's different like kind of like examples of how it could look like. So federations, um, assembles. So uh, within anarchism, democracy happens in a direct way. Versus where, a representative way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and where people, they are all at the same level. So nobody can like, you know, have more power on their votes or, you know, whatever. This College and uh-huh. the, like the electoral college and the the super delegates and all the ways that they have like baked in ways to co opt the the electoral process so the the whole democratic process is a little bit of a not even a little bit it is a farce right and then you know your vote counts more or less than somebody else's and then they just take collectivize it all into like your state and it's like yeah, what a what a mess and then that doesn't even take into account voter fraud and things like that. Yeah. So are these then like, is there a larger body? Like, let's just take the United States, for example. It, there's no, so under this thought experiment, there's, so I'm, I'm, this is my thought experiment. This, this comes down and anarchism is blossoming in its place. And in its ideal fruition, there is a, so I'm assuming a borderless, um, non-identifiable mass of land that we wouldn't call necessarily 
America, like we couldn't really put a title on it. And maybe, I don't know, you can speak to that. And then um, within that, there's either federations or assemblies that are operating, I'm assuming, at primarily local levels. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I'm wondering, because of the nature of resource accumulation, how there would be any sort of um, federal, um, like, is there some larger umbrella like to ensure that every but this floor that is 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 wanting to be assured of equal rights that that is occurring like isn't this sort of the this feels like the the ideals of the beginning of America to me it's like we we leave the the grip of the central church of, uh, of England we um, we fight for our independence um, and we start to go okay well let's have you know, the system of, of checks and balances were primarily a collection, were United States, were a collection of individual and um, subjectively sovereign states. Um, we support freedoms of the individuals um, within the country. I'm not saying this has happened. And then we ha- and then we put forth our vote to represent who we want to represent us as close to as our local district gets to go all the way up to DC and represent, you know, our local district. And then that system interacts with at the state level and then with not just the state level of governance, but the senators, and then they're interacting with the executive branch, the judicial branch, et cetera. So I don't mean in the, in the way that it's occurred because it's fucked, but in the way that it was imagined it feels like a pretty incredible system. I feel like our constitution is, is a pretty amazing document that's written with the ability for it to be amended and changed. I know you disagree with me because you're, you're, you're thinking it's based on something that is got an automatic dominance hierarchy uh, embedded into it, but I don't see how we can, have structure in the anarchistic system. That's what I'm having a hard time struggling with. So I'm hoping well, you could like the expound. antithesis defended by anarchism proposes the creation of institutions by free agreement. Okay, that's what I'm looking for. Let's get into that a little okay. bit. And by association of you know the citizens or you know in the community, the individual. And also points out the need for 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 an education that is very different. Uh, you know, that the education that we're, we're used to, uh, which allows human beings to reason on their own and, mm-hmm. and have autonomy and, you know, hopefully, you know, achieve, you know, through freedom. Um, it considers um, the coexistence between human beings, that these coexistence uh, should be determined by the will and reason. Of, of each one so I know what you're thinking I'm like you know like we are so like you know different and some people are want to take more so this is where where the part of of the 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 ugly part you know and what we see happening right now the destruction like right yeah. now we're witnessing the collapsing of this system yeah. I mean Earth just say no more. I mean, you see migration because our global south is so beaten that people have to move, and and it's like there's it's causing more and more destruction, is more wars, and 
this is kind of like the natural um, way in which this system that cannot be sustained anymore is not infinite. It has to it has to come down. So within all this, there's so much suffering. And within this suffering and struggle too, there's so much that we are discovering and and it's creating, it's kind of like pushing us to look in other places and, and to like take our awareness away from what is being imposed to us. And, and it's like, I even bring neurodiversity here. It's like, kind of like, it's an invitation to have more of like a neuro, neurodiverse look of the world. Um, because this shit is not working. Um, yeah. And so within that, um, I don't know if you can tell, like when I talk to, to young people and I'm not, you know, I'm going to say every young person, but I see so much wisdom and, and so much like desire to do things different, to create mm-hmm. something different. And that's actually another part of anarchism, which the, the the shit has gotten so bad that people are finally getting to be like, okay, let's take a look of this and figure this shit out and just try something different. We don't know how it's exactly going to look like because there's no finality, but we're in this together and we're going to do it differently. And you see like other, like, like other postures. It's like, it's like another rhythm, you know, like we're used to like this beat and there's another beat that is beating differently. You know, there's, you know, the, it's kind of like it's disabling the, yeah. the, the structures. So within that, you know, there's growth in the spiritual level and in mm-hmm. consciousness. And, and from that higher consciousness and from that, like, you know, a spiritual connection is where it emerges you know, these societies with kind of like an anarchist characteristics can emerge. Um, people, you know, and this is very idealistic and this is what a lot of anarchist authors, you know, talk about like Bakunin saying, you know, like we're going to suffer so much that we are going to value other things. Um, like when we're on the other side of this, we're going to begin to value, you know, each other and other things more than private property or more than like having just so much more accumulation. Um, like how, how, how much, how much more, like how much more happiness can $1 million bring to a bank account of a billionaire? Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. I just think that they're not, I, so at one level, there's self, there's identification with materialism. At another at, the, at another extreme, there's a disidentification with materialism. And then as you pendulum to center, there's the capacity to have material possessions and objects without identifying them, just as a means of enjoying existence. And that to the degree that you worked for those things based on the values the monetary value assigned to the exchange of goods and services, you were able to accumulate or inherit those, um, those certain things. And if you're not using that as a way to negatively impact somebody else's existence, I don't, I don't personally see so much of a, uh, a negative there. And uh, so I, 
I, I see there's more like for me, it's like taking it in. I'm, I'm challenged by the idea of like, how does it function? Like that's where I keep coming to as I'm taking it up, start to think like, so, so we have this agreement, right? Like, like we have a shared agreement based on something, but there's always going to be a, a degree of variance within the consciousness of the collective. And so without these safeguards, what happens to the person that uh, steals, to the person that kills, to the, to the criminal? Are, are there not laws that are enforced? And how does I that think piece You're having a hard time understanding this because you're still looking from the lens of what you know, of, of thinking like if somebody steals, it's because there must be a horrible human. No, I don't think they're necessarily, I'm not saying that. I just want to make sure you're not putting words in my mouth. I'm not saying that they're a horrible human because I'm not conflating their behavior with their identity. No, no, I'm not saying that. But when like, when you, when you talk about like, we need a system to kind of like, not let somebody steal, we're pretty much, you know, you're not saying it, but it's like, okay, but how about we, instead of punish and go to the end of it, we go like, what's causing somebody to steal? Or what's causing mm-hmm. somebody to create violence? So is the systems of inequality and oppression. So again, like we go to the very floor. When when there's basic needs met, a mm-hmm. lot of the societal um, issues we experience right now are disappear are gonna disappear. I'm not gonna say gonna disappear, you know, zero percent or a hundred percent. Like they're not gonna be there. But a lot of it is because of you know the 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 way we're brought in, like we're we're raised like the the concept of authority the repressed individual the repressed gifts that we like the person that that has to go to a work a job that they hate because they have to bring food to their plate and they finally blow up and we live on this like <sighs> so it's impossible for you to be able to see something if you're like not looking at what's causing all these other issues and what's causing yeah, these issues is, you know, uh, a colonial paradigm where, you know, anarchism doesn't say that, that you cannot enjoy the fruits of your labor at all. Like okay. that, that is there, but it's like, we don't need a repressive system or institution to, you know, to, to coerce somebody because of something they did because society in anarchism is very different right now we're in a society that that um where just a handful of people are accumulating resources and that's causing so many issues and this very system continues to stay in power because of the same issues we have because these issues we have it doesn't allow us to to come together, it doesn't allow us to to free ourselves, to emancipate ourselves. So, um, again, this current system is falling apart, and within the cracks, you know, are other ways that are being created, and 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 that are looking to satisfy the needs you know, of, of the individual and of the communities. So these can communities and individuals can flourish. And that, we don't know how it's going to look like. That is up to, and that's part of the autonomy of, of you know, of the communities. 
uh, how you know they might be very different from 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 another place, but you know there's kind of like a shared um, agreement on how we go about life without without being binary, without um, um, demonizing each other, without mm-hmm. uh, not acknowledging, you know, your humanity and dignity or the humanity and dignity of, of, of yeah, the other. I, I, agree, I agree with the ideal inside of that. And I want to move on from this and share one last thought on this piece and, and give you the last word on it for we shift into like putting it in a particular context. So let's say we do this and I'm imagining the the deconstruction, the abolition of society as we know it, and then the emergence of um, a new paradigm set within the ideals of anarchism. And I am admittedly nascent and somewhat ignorant in, 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 in the, the nuances of what this really means and, and looks like, but I'm curious and I'm deeply curious. And I, <clears throat> I keep feeling that, that, you know, you said something earlier that there's something sort of Im- implicit within the, the, the seed of the human psyche that, that power over dominance hierarchy structure. And I would imagine it, <laughs> this is quite a conundrum that we have. This is sort of like the decolonization dilemma in my mind that when you open up this new potential, that that seed will begin to act. And while the group may have an agreement over here, there is going to be outliers from that group. And while it sounds great on paper in first glance to say, so cool, let's get to the heart of why you committed this crime. I think that's actually really beautiful. I think that our system that is so deeply punitive in its approach um, right now is falling short of what this could look like. I agree with that. And I don't see every time somebody commits a crime there's like counseling. It's starting to look like San Francisco in my mind, like where it's just like, I'm going to go steal stuff and it's not going to matter because there's not consequence. And I think that we need those things in order to actually protect the value that is agreed to. There's got to be some measure for when someone says, well, you so, so great. So we're doing your counseling session because you, you stole, you know, whatever, but that doesn't actually stop the stealing in an immediate way. Now, longitudinally, as if we get to the root and not addressing the symptoms, yes, but I think that should happen simultaneously with some system that prevents the the issue from continuing to occur, right? We can't just allow everybody to just go do whatever. So I think we have laws, we have society. That's what I, that's what I visualize laws uh, and legislation in its most idyllic form as representing the shared agreement. And then we debate these ideas and we choose them. Now, again, humanity, I even think there's something about the magnetism of power that had to some degree has drawn a certain frequency of consciousness towards it that's more susceptible to the power over dynamic. And I think a, a question that um, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll give you this question is how does healthy consciousness coalesce 
around power, change the word power if you don't like it to influence, but 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 impact. How about that? How does healthy consciousness coalesce around impact without resorting to the tactics of violence that people that are in power now will use to defend it? Does this make sense? No. <laughs> How does, how does healthy consciousness, how, how, does, how does a healthy being or a healthy group of people create the shift? So I'll put it into a, a, into a context because they're not just going to politely, if we say, guys, it's time, like I wrote a nice poem. I want to share it with you. I hope it connects to your heart. And if so, can we change, can we change this structure? And I do understand your point that like, because the system is steeped upon a consciousness of separateness, it will fall and the system's falling um, in, in real time. But to me, that's almost like it's not fast enough for something that's being called anarchy. I feel like it's actually moving kind of slow. It's almost like waiting. It's beautiful in the sense of like, I'm waiting for this thing to come down. But in the meantime, there's lives being lost. So putting it in, in context, um, to get more granular, um, largely colonization occurs by means of genocide. There are three levels of genocide alerts. Genocide watch is declared when there are, um, the, are signs of the early stages of the genocidal process taking shape. A genocide warning is declared when the genocidal process um, of preparation by perpetrators and persecution of a targeted group occurs. And then a genocide emergency is declared when the genocidal process has reached the stage of genocidal massacres and other acts of genocide. Looking through this lens currently, right now, in this moment, on this planet, there are two genocide warnings, the ethnic conflict in Manipur, India, and Azerbaijan's planned invasion of Armenia. And then there's also a genocide emergency, which is the Israel-Hamas situation, war, I don't even want to call it conflict anymore, in Gaza. Um, so can we talk about this? Can we take these, um, as we, because we've been talking kind of about it philosophically, so my goal mm -hmm. is to drive it into current moment context, apply what you're saying, and how you see this, and how you see us getting out of it according to the philosophical basis that you've espoused. And like, let's, let's try it on, again, tread lightly, because we're talking about real human beings in deep suffering right now. But if there is something of value, if it's all of what you're saying or a piece of what you're saying, I really want to invite our listeners to lean in, get curious, and let's put this into application and see if if anarchism could speak in, in the center of this conflict and could be heard, would it offer, what would be the value that it offers in, in your estimation, pal? Okay. Well, I mean, there's, there's so much there. Um, yeah, take your time. It was a, a huge one. So take your yeah. time. So, so I feel like there's kind of like two forces at play um, with, you know, what's happening, you know, the genocide, all of the Palestinian people. Um, we're seeing, we're seeing the true nature of 
and we're seeing also the the kind of like the effects of colonialism of um this disconnect that we have with nature and like our our nature um where you know a group of people feels threatened by the very existence of other and by you know the force force you know occupation of you know of of land and and the oppression of you know for so many years of you know one group towards another um we see also um a response to to this oppression kind of like in desperation uh because we created all these value systems and these models um that are so hypocritical and that justify um this cruelty and these terrible um things that we're seeing right now or that we're seeing like in history And I feel like what we're seeing is the inevitable, the inevitability of of the seed that was planted by colonialism. Mm-hmm. So we see that you know the collapsing and the so much loss of human life and and of nature. You know this land that is going to take or. I don't know how many years or never going to recuperate. Um, so it's not a, it's, not, it's, it's a horrible, horrible sight. So we have to look in that, the opportunities to do things differently. It's like an urgent call to see this is not working, but we want to impose and continue make it work the way it's not working. So, mm. So, you know, we're asking for ceasefire because there's got to be a ceasefire. Two months ago, since October, this should never happen. Um, like this is slaughtering. And, and it's calling us to, to act out of our comfort zone, uh, not only to the people directly involved in, you know, what's going on, but you know, as us, like, entire, like, world, as humanity, like, like, we need to change our posture. We need to change the beat, this beat that has been going on for, you know, hundreds of years, you know. We have to get another rhythm. Um, how anarchism can fit in here, oh, my God, mutual aid, solidarity, uh, changing our, our value system, um knowing that these institutions that we we give power to and that we put our well-being in their hands of they fail us the UN NATO i mean uh we talk about international you know rights and international agreements that are are on, are one-sided that only benefit you know some people, but in reality, it doesn't apply to to everyone because when the 
because of interest, because the interest of a few. So I think, you know, what anarchism can bring here is, is, is a lot. Start, stop believing and give, uh, give uh, more power to, to the people in power. Um, it's, you know, this is a calling that, you know, for us to dismantle, um, yeah, these these systems of oppression that, for example, when you cast, I was talking to you about that voting. When you cast a vote in this fake democracy, you are saying, "Yes, I agree to this social contract, and this is working for us." And I don't believe that. You know, I heard a little bit of like some of the candidates, and and like, like none of them, none of them will ever like represent you know me and like so many people that I know and and represent life. They all represent their own interest. So I feel like we can start now. Disobedience is is such a big thing and it's such a powerful tool that I, you know, wanted to talk about actually, because when we the struggles and 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 the struggles can lead people to to do so many different things. And when a community is being oppressed, you know, there's a point that they have to find a way, however that looks like, for, for them to, you know, to take their oppressor and be like, stop. And, you know, and sometimes that's going to look like, you know, things that, you know, sometimes we don't imagine or think of. But hurt people hurt other people. And we continue that. Uh, we're going to continue create like, you know, monsters of destruction. Um, so you know one one tool that a lot of anarchists you know um choose is disobedience like how about let's say if 60% of the population doesn't go to work tomorrow that will collapse everything and mm-hmm. and it will probably give us negotiating power will be like okay like you need to stop this shit right now or mm-hmm. you know we have the power but Another fallacy that this paradigm, that's how you say, or paradigm has created is that we are helpless and that we're not empowered. When we have all the power, we give them our power. We vote for them. We buy their products. You know, how about where you place your money? And this is how anarchism looks in the present moment, functioning within the system, because, you know, me alone, Pao, or this little community cannot get rid of, you know, the way the, the, you know, the world works right now. But if we start claiming right now in the present and we start kind of like acting, um, mm-hmm. we start creating that other rhythm that I keep talking about. So, you know, look at your nutrition. What are you eating? What are you consuming? How are you consuming? Uh, what companies are you supporting with your money? We're seeing how, you know, certain companies have been boycotted and they're actually, you know, losing. And economy puts a lot of pressure on 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 countries and on, on states and on systems. So we have the power. We just don't realize it because, first of all, we're not given the time and the opportunity to actually kind of like have these moments of introspection and, and, you know, connect to our wisdom because we're always like trying to survive. We're in survival mode. Mm-hmm. 
So that's mm -hmm. when I was talking to you about the, you know, a little comparison to the chakra system um, mm -hmm. where, you know, like, again, if you have, you know, those, those basic needs, then you have time to explore other things. And one of these things that, you know, you, that everybody as part of society should be exploring is, you know, politics, not, not in a uh, like bureaucratic way or not in the way like the system works, but like politics is like the way we act in, in, in society. So mm -hmm. uh, a way that we can, you know, we can start kind of like embracing this anarchist, I guess, calling or, or philosophy will be, you know, being more autonomous, like not really doing your research and not like letting, you know, the media that is, you know, always taking a narrative. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, there's so much you can be doing, advocating for, for you know, for collective ownership and management of resources. Um, and just being like sweet and, and soft and good for each other, like helping one another. There's a, a bird in Colombia that... Um, I forgot the name of the bird, but this bird creates houses for other birds that are, don't have the capability, the capacity to do that. So we see it in nature. And this is another um, imitation of anarchism is to like, kind of like observe nature and, and, and the system, how they work, like the solidarity that exists within nature. And that's something we can do right now. And that's something that I see in anarchists, like people that, you know, um, how you say, identify themselves with, with this philosophy. Um, they're all about, you know, mutual aid, like commun communal, um, you see this in Colombia a lot, communal, um, like padlocks, where everybody contributes. And there's so much that is created out of this public assembles, assembly. So I don't know if that responded your, that response, just that response your question. Yeah, I, I want to share, you know, you talked about the sort of un, unhooking ourselves from the screens, the way we consume media, the need for creativity, art, poetry, thinking freely, supporting each other, helping the, not just voting, the, not just in the political structures, but in, in the lifestyle choices, how we spend our money, um, et, et, et cetera. So I, I had written something uh, and I was wondering if I could share it with you. Sure, love that. Okay, thank you. It's it's a, a poem. It's called Politrix. Uh, the thing about the Politrix that gets me the most is the illusion of choice, the powerlessness of so many voices crying, screaming for change against a deranged system with too many problems to list them, like a partisan delineation of choice bedrocked by a two-party system with cable news mouthpiece talking points parroted by constituents complicit in co-opting their own voice when a people believe they're sovereign and free but they're just repeating the points that they heard on tv perhaps we need to revisit our own history to illustrate the point let's revisit 1913 when we handed over the power to print our own green 
Now we borrow against a debt that could never be repaid. Our citizenry lay slayed in favor of a corporatocracy that has stolen our freedom. Our human rights lay bleeding on the floors of foreclosed dreams at the hand of a spineless machine keen on perpetuating the need to always want more. I abhor a thought system so rigged in favor of a few, while the rest of us clamor just to make our way through. So while these special interests persist to fund these campaigns, we can point fingers. What else can we do right now at this charade called super PACs, throwing sacks full of coin behind a hidden wall to make sure their man gets elected and their clandestine issues protected while our democracy falls. And all this goes down against the backdrop of a flawed electoral college and the gerrymandering of districts that restricts us from choosing a candidate on election day that reflects the true will of the masses. So with spirits defeated, so many people sit home on their asses like, do you want the bigot on the right or the puppet on the left? Our system bereft of truth in favor of a false juxtaposition that we call red and blue and we fight with each other, distracted from the truth while our youth are fed images of these colorful scenes on the screens, making them actually want poison for breakfast. And we let them digest this genetically modified crop. So Big farms stay rich. Now where they're bitch, the food gets us sick when it could be used to heal. But instead, the school lunches serve a meal that will ultimately lead us all to the clinic where we will stand in line for a dose of medicine to heal the symptoms of a broken system while the root cause goes untreated. A nation defeated, unconscious of its own demise because it's so caught up in the guise of looking good on the outside, but the inside the inside has taken a back seat. So please, let's not keep repeating these same delusions, these intrusions into a nation, a world that lost its way, beheading a person for thinking a different way, denying someone the right to marriage because they're gay, walking into a church and ending people's lives or um, or going to a festival and pulling out an AK and choosing to end their lives because of how they choose to pray. And I sit here and I look at this and I pray every single fucking day for me and for you and my children and your children and their children and hopes that maybe we can turn this thing around. And maybe I'm crazy, but I'm holding out hope and I'm doing my part because I believe in the power of you plus me, the color of we, but we desperately need to turn this thing around. So choose wisely where you place your votes, not just with your ballots, but with your dollars and your decisions, because in the end, the future we are writing holds no luxury of revisions. That's beautiful. Thank you. It gets emotional when I, yeah. <laughs> when I share it. Well, yeah, um, it makes me emotional. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, I do have two, I have two core questions. If, if we can spend a few more minutes or do, or do you have a moment? No, I'm good. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, so a couple of things that I wanted to hit on just getting a little nuance and, and we can flash around them and you can, you can knock them out fast. How do you reconcile the intentional manipulation of minorities and marginalized populations 
by establishment politicians that claim to represent them. How do you use another yogic virtue, Viveka, to suss out the difference between authentic action to support humans, human rights and equality for, for all versus policy that is designed to foment victim narratives and, in my opinion, certain DEI policies that create the appearance or illusion of justice in order to sustain political power. To me, the last four years have really shown that that in in maybe it's largely it's I think it's both sides. But what I've seen it with Biden's administration and and I don't want to say it's Biden's and his administration's Biden. Um, to me, that the last four years have really shown that well-meaning liberals are being manipulated by a great PR campaign. But if we could see behind the curtain of Oz, we would see an increasingly authoritarian state. And I don't just mean the United States federal government, but the larger collective of aligned global interests that collaborate to sustain the globalist mission. It feels like it's a giant trap door that says, be good, don't be racist, support you know these policies. And then that funnels everybody that's well-meaning and thinking they're doing the good thing into this giant authoritarian trap. And it just feels like it's being co-opted. And I, I wonder if you see that, if you agree with that, if you recognize that. So when you say you're like the far left end of left, historically, when I've looked at left, like at that end, I'm like, yeah, no, no, thank you. Like, especially coming from within the yoga community where everyone's like, posting their black boxes on their Instagram. And it's like lazy performative activism that is trying to like, well-meaning, like, no, I'm going to stand up for the good thing. And it's like, but right behind that is a, a an agenda that's trying to funnel you in to a narrative that is actually sustaining this oppressive dynamic. So are you going so far left that you fall off the other end of that and see it? Or... Or, or are you in agreement with that and in, in, in opposition to what I just shared? I got you. Okay, so yeah, anarchism is out of that, out of like the whole spectrum. Um, and I fall out of that. Um, I really see, you know, with Biden, with Trump, with George Bush, with Clinton, with Obama, with all of them, they have done, they're criminals. Mm. They are criminals and they are so hurt people and and all these systems and all these politicians and all these people in power are so damaged that, you know, they are, you know, just damaging everything and others. Um, and, 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 and this is the, the, the tricks of politics, what you were, you know, um, the, the things that I could hear from your poem is that social movements you know i i do believe in the black lives matter social movement as like the struggle that you know and, and the need for that movement but it got co-opted by Absolutely. politicians and and that's what's going to continue happening if we don't do things differently if we continue to believe and participate on these um like obeying the rules that have been established in this fake democracy. So that's why, and that is the call to anarch of anarchism is 
the revolution needs to happen in so many different ways and at so many different levels. It has to happen individually. Like it has to begin with you. Collectively, it can look like disobedience. It can look like, like let's turn shit up. It can look like so many things. And I think the important, the most important thing is to, to make them uncomfortable and to, because once they're uncomfortable, you know, we are able to, you know, to kind of like to negotiate or to start being like our voices being heard. But if we leave them like, oh, you know, we're going to vote, like go vote for Biden or I mean, or for any other, like to, to resolve what? And one thing very interesting about these systems of oppression is that they will give they will give society just as much as is needed, so society does go full rage insane and be like, you know what? Fuck it all and let's, you know, let's turn this everything down. So mm-hmm. that's how that's how NGOs, that is actually the function of charity. It's made mm-hmm. up for where the state falls, because the state has an obligation to its, its citizens, which doesn't like in reality, the state doesn't doesn't um how you say like um it's not abiding by 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 what they you know by by the contract it's not it's you know people are hungry there's no education people are sick there's wars there's all these things uh but people continue like we continue society continues to believe in this system and to continues to function within this you know two-party system and and under the illusion, like, even when you call the left, that is not really left. There's no United States. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, the, I don't see it anywhere. It's all about, you know, capitalist and benefiting the, um, the interest of, of the few, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and in the meantime, we're here, like, killing each other and just causing each other so much suffering because we still believe that they are the saviors. And that we need to be saved. We don't have to be saved. So I know we're tight on time. So I'm going to kind of push through a couple of last questions that felt really important for me to share with you. Um, Okay. So do you perceive a delicateness in creating a world wherein interdependence does not unintentionally become centralization. By this, I mean that it seems to me that so much political ideological divide is a friction between the sovereign rights of the individual and the recognition of being a shared collective. And so often the collective persuasion bleeds into totalitarianism rather than interdependence. And the individualism bleeds into separatism. And the result is that innocent people bleed literal blood because our consciousness continues to really clamor for the chasm over the nuance. So what is your thoughts on how to negotiate if you if you consider that a delicate balance as well it's like here's all these independent but interdependent 
voices saying that we have to see through to what's really happening here. We have to see the establishment at work behind the veil of all of these issues that you've presenced and pointed out today. And then there's this imagined collapse. And in its place, there is this core ethos of interdependence, but the nature of interdependence is connected. And the nature of connection, as soon as that's identified as a, as a web, it's first and foremost, an easy target from the establishment. So it has to maintain its own separation, if you will, in order to sustain, if that makes sense. Once it's in, once the interdependent allyship, that federation, that agreement occurs, it seems to me that it becomes susceptible, susceptible again to become centralization. Like so much is dependent upon the frequency of the consciousness of the individuals that are operating within it. So um, again, this, this new, you know, way of, you know, society or communities that we're talking about cannot be creative from the current dominant worldview. So getting out of that, um, once you're not in that worldview, what's created, it's not going to have so much of that like burden to become authoritarian or centralized. You see what I don't know how to explain is like you can't create something different if you're still within the same worldview. And yeah, so, you know, when I don't like to talk about like individuals having higher consciousness because I don't think an individual possesses higher consciousness or I think is is an individual process, but it's also a collective process. Mm-hmm. And 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 I think um centralization is is a, a contradiction to to both to collective rights and to uh individual rights um i don't know if that answers your question it does yeah so well said thank you for that there's there's so much nuance in there and i appreciate it because it gets lost in the in these talking head food fight battles that is mostly put out there when these topics are brought up where it's people yelling over each other and caught up in, in the, the, the blame and the what about isms and the hiding in their respective rhetorical fortresses. And they're not getting to how do we hold both the individuality and the shared collective that aren't at odds with each other and the nuance that I heard from within what you shared is that the seed of the consciousness itself that recognizes inter interdependent nature is not susceptible to centralization by virtue of, of its recognition of interdependence. So I think that's really a powerful point to consider in terms of the the delicateness, which was the heart of my question. And then I think just for all of us that, you know, not to create frictions and adversarial dispositions between 
our concern for the collective and our concern for the individual, that we're a collective of individuals and there's an aspect of experience where our individuality matters. And while we're individual, individuation does not imply separation, that there is um, a, a, the nuance there is that we are distinct, but we are not divided. And when that recognition dawns in our psyche, which it always is fundamentally dawning from the, if we're going to go back to yoga or the Purushic perspective, that, that it's not self, it's not us that are waking up to the truth of our nature. We're always already awake. It's the conditioned mind that is waking up to what it truly is. Came across a beautiful verse inside this book. Um, last night we were studying in our 300 hour teacher training. It's called the Viveka Chidamani and it's a text by Adi Shankara. This commentary is by Swami Chinmayananda. And I realized I just threw a bunch of Sanskrit out to listeners, but it, I am not saying that for any other reason, not to confuse you or anything, but to honor the sources from which our information is given to us. I think that's important for us. And so the, the text and the teachers that contributed to this and the commentary said this about how we move from the inculcation of these um, imprints on our consciousness, the colonization of our consciousness. And it used the metaphor of imagine a tank filled with water and water is the nature of consciousness itself. And then on top of the tank, there's this moss that is collected and the, the, and, and then the moss sort of, obscures the nature of the water, the presence of the water beneath it. If you were to look down upon the tank, you would see moss and not see water. Practice does have an element of putting a hand in, would be like the meditation, let's say, or this conversation, let's say, to cultivate discernment and non-attachment, et cetera. And it peels back the moss and lets you view just a little bit of the water that's beneath it. And and I'm saying this just to set up the point that actually struck me as beautiful, which is that the, the in service of, of the how, how do we get from the state of conditioning that we are in to the state of condition that we aspire towards through this conversation? And the answer given was you just keep adding water to the tank. And, event, and, and ultimately what happens is the moth is actually the first thing to fall off because it's sitting on the surface. And so it's like, don't get so preoccupied. This is, this is how I came to this. How do I find personal orientation to this? I'm not going to take down the entire colonial system, right? But I can create a podcast and invite a friend who has a lot of bold ideas to share to share her ideas, whether you agree with them, disagree with them, if you're listening, that's arbitrary. The point is let's start a conversation, let's share ideas, let's share our poems, let's share our perspectives. We're adding water to the tank. And if we can just keep adding water to the tank, the moss will fall off. And what is ultimately true, real, and fundamentally unthreatenable will be the nature of the experience that we share and to the great mystery that that is and how it unfolds. I don't have those answers, but I'm definitely here for the questions and the conversation. Swanee, you, 
you just mentioned yeah. that the listeners yeah. and I was like, I keep forgetting there's listeners and I keep just like, <laughs> I know we get so caught up in it's you and them. Yeah, we're, we're recording this thing and may it, may it live on and may people actually press pause and stop and ruminate for a while and then come back a week later, share it with a friend, have meet coffee, get meet for coffee and debate the ideas. Like it's, it's, I knew coming into this conversation that I didn't understand parts of your perspective. I might agree with some, I might disagree with the other, we need to get out of the echo chambers. We need to get out of the silos that we put ourselves in to only speak with human beings that think what we think. And in the larger context of this um, podcast, um, Paula, now, two, two episodes ago, we did an episode on the Israel-Palestine war with an oh, um, Israeli citizen joining me from Israel. Last week, we did it on the 2024 election and having supporters of each of the different candidates talking to each other, civilly disagreeing with ideas. As I take in this conversation against the backdrop of those two, I'm firmly aware that, that the four guests that I had last week discussing the election and the one before discussing the conflict from the Israeli perspective of those five people, you represent a sixth perspective. If we could all be together, you would be sharing something that is espousing a fundamentally different perspective and philosophy. And there's spaces of agreement as well. And that's what it's about for me. So if I want to add water to the tank in some way, it's let's bring out everything. So this idea of we're not going to say it. We're going to become complicit in canceling our own self by censoring our own voice. That can't work. And that got really scary over those last few years. And I just can't co-sign on living in a world where we don't express ourselves. So thank you for joining me. <laughs> thank, thank you me. for inviting me. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for being here and being part of this conversation. And I, I love and appreciate you. And I'm deeply, deeply grateful for this little girl in Colombia that protested the, the, the need for that playground. And, um, and th so thank you for sharing your journey and your perspectives and I hope you come back and we get to do it again sometime. Awesome. Thank you, Scott.